0: Media. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and the guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Icarus Borealis with Shane Jones. What is up, inquirers, and welcome. To the frequently squatchy inquiries of our reality. It's become common for me to talk to Sasquatch researchers on the show, venturing out past the city limit to rural areas with the hopes of catching a glimpse of the forever elusive Bigfoot. But today's guest takes that to a whole other level, regularly spending time in some of the absolute most remote regions in North America the Yukon, British Columbia, and especially Alaska. If a Sasquatch is lurking just around the bend somewhere, it's in these areas. And I have high hopes that today's guest might just be the man to catch solid evidence of these beings. But before we get into all of this awesomeness today, we got some news and updates. So first and foremost, for anybody that hasn't already caught it, I will be speaking and vending at the Snarly Yao presents Cryptid Halloween 2, Cryptid Festival and Halloween Craft Show. That will be October 28th from 12 to 6, and that will be at the American Legion in Charlestown, West Virginia. And uh, it is a free event for anybody that wants to come and check it out. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be my very first speaking event, like I mentioned. And I'm going to have my awesome co host, Oren from Bizarre Encounters, with me on this one. And uh, we're going to be doing a three part show. The first part is going to be us doing a presentation on a not disclosed yet topic. And uh, that one's going to be like our standard format of how we kind of do the show. Uh, The second one is going to be an interview talking with uh, some locals that have been doing some research into Wizard Clip, which is a paranormal story based around West Virginia. And then the third part is going to be an open forum for anybody that is interested in sharing some of their encounters and possibly even discussing them. And uh, for anybody that might not be able to attend this event, uh, if anybody wants to share some of their encounter stories that we can read and talk about during that show, uh, you guys can always email or send send them to me on Instagram or Facebook. And for anybody that might be there, obviously you guys can just raise your hand and join in on the conversation. And uh, if you don't want to share your experience directly, like you're not comfortable talking in front of people, anything like that, if you are going to be attending, I will be leaving a notebook over at my vending table. If anybody wants to come up anonymously, they don't have to put their name or anything on it. But if anybody wants to share their encounters, that's another way of doing it. Where you know you may not directly have your name tied to it, because I know a lot of people don't like to directly share their encounters like that. But anybody that isn't able to come, I am going to be trying to figure out how to. Live feed this whole event so you guys should hopefully be able to watch it over the internet. And uh, if you guys, if it I can't get that to work for whatever reason, I will be recording everything no matter what. So within a week or two of us doing this event, they should be up on YouTube for anybody that's uh, following the YouTube. You guys will see those pop up. And like I said, there's going to be three parts to it. Um, We might even turn some of it into an episode for Bizarre Encounters, but there's going to be a lot of fun going on over there. So hopefully, you guys will get involved. And if any of you guys are planning on attending, let me know because I'd love to know some of your guys guys faces and names beforehand and uh, I can give you guys a shout out there be like hey I know that guy you know it's a lot of fun for me it's a lot of fun for you so let me know if you guys are going to be coming And then the second part of news that I'd like to announce is that I have a new team member to the Open Minds Media team. Uh, Her name is Tilly Treadwell. She's going to be helping with a lot of the the behind-the-scenes stuff as far as Open Minds Media goes, helping to expand the brand and make it so that it gets a lot more into the forefront and gets seen a lot more on the internet. Uh, There's going to be a lot more interactive stuff, all thanks to her. Uh, The Discord, uh, she's been doing a lot of interacting over there on the Discord. Uh, I did make her an admin over there, so there's going to be a lot more activity going on over there. She's gonna be helping out with uh, the Patreon, trying to make that a little bit more active and a little bit more in depth for you guys, possibly even uh, doing some giveaways, some different merch and stuff over there. So it's gonna be a lot more expanding all on the Patreon, all thanks to her. But she's doing a lot of awesome work, so I wanna give her a shout out and let everybody know who she is and what she's doing. So if you guys, anybody's interested in meeting her, pop onto the Discord, go have a conversation with her. She's a great person, and it's an absolute pleasure to have her involved on the Open Minds Media team. And uh, now pushing into the front of house stuff, of course, if you guys aren't already checking out the show on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Discord, or Telegram, highly recommend that you do if you guys want to get news and updates on anything going on with the show, or you guys want to be able to interact with other like-minded individuals as far as the Telegram or the Discord goes. And then the YouTube and the TikTok, always posting cool clips of the show over there. Um, Going to hopefully be adding, like I said, these live feeds on there, and there should be a lot more video content-wise stuff. Stuff coming down the pipeline, all thanks to uh, Tilly helping out with all that stuff. So, again, thank her for that. Uh, there's going to be a lot more going on as far as everything involved with Open Minds Media. So, make sure you guys keep tabs on everything that we're doing across social media. And uh, if anybody's interested in being a guest on the show, whether you're a ufologist, cryptozoologist, paranormal investigator, abductee, experiencer, author, folklorist, researcher, whistleblower, or any open minded individual, I'd love to sit down and have a conversation with you on the show. Uh, even if you know you're just a listener you've had some kind of bizarre encounter uh, you know if you don't think it could take up a full episode which I would absolutely love to be able to do with you guys of course because I want you guys to be involved in the show um, you know we can always set up a date we can record something short and uh, I'd like to make some episodes here and there of some all of your, some of your guys listener encounters where you know like I said if you can't fill up a full episode maybe I can just record with you guys for 15 20 minutes here or there uh, maybe put all that together and do some kind of collab episode with all you guys and call it a listener episode or something but there's a lot of cool stuff I want to do. So if any of those things sound like you or you're just a listener that wants to share your experience, come my way. Come shoot me a message. I'd love to get you guys involved with the show and set up a date with everybody. And uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of me for re- any reason whatsoever, you guys can email me at increase all reality podcast at outlook.com. Or you guys can uh, go to the link tree, fill the submission form, and that will go directly to my email. Uh, make sure you guys check your spammer junk folders. Make sure nothing gets missed because I do respond to every single message that I get from you guys. Or you guys can always message me on Instagram, which is the form of social media that I'm the most active on. But if you come and find me somewhere on the internet, shoot me a message. I'm sure I'll find it. I'll respond to you. So no hesitation there. Uh, I love to talk to all you guys. I appreciate all you guys for listening to the show. And if you guys take the time to shoot me a message, then of course, I'm going to take the time to reply to all you guys. And if you guys can't get enough of the content that I put out, you guys can always go check out my other show, Bizarre Encounters, that I do with my awesome co-host, Oren. I'm sure you guys have heard about it. I talk about it on every single episode. It's a little bit different of a format from this show because this is an interview kind of open conversation style show over there. uh, It's kind of turned into a lot of us doing deep dives. We still have guests on here and there for interviews, but primarily that show has kind of turned into us doing deep dives and having conversations about different weird, bizarre encounters, just like the title of the show says. But if you guys want to keep tabs on everything that I do all in one place, be it increase of All Reality and Bizarre Encounters, don't forget to go and check out Open Minds Media. Open Minds Media is what I keep the YouTube, the TikTok, the Discord, and the Telegram under. So we're a little bit all over the internet. There is an Instagram setup and I post everything all consolidated into one place. So at least go and follow that page if you're not following the other two. And if you guys want to support the show, there's a couple different ways to do so. You guys can become an awesome Patreon member, such as Brian, Brandy, Floyd, Riley. Uh, There's a bunch of them over there. Awesome people. They've been around since the beginning, and I appreciate them more than they'll ever know. But if you guys want to join those ranks of those people, uh, you'll get things such as ad-free episodes of the show, early access to the show, lives of shows, live replays of shows, Exclusive merch store discounts, uh, exclusive giveaways, and whatever other cool stuff Tilly and I happen to work out in the future. So, definitely worth going and checking out. Join now um, because the tiers, depending on what we work out as far as uh, merch giveaways, stuff like that, there may be some more tiers added in the soon future. So, make sure you guys go and check all that out. And if you guys want to donate to the show directly, you guys can do so through Cash App, Venmo. PayPal or Red Circle, which is the RSS host for the show. All of that goes back towards the show, makes it so that I can upgrade things, makes it so that I can get out to more events, hopefully get some new pockets of listeners here and there, and make it so I can meet more of you guys. So. All that, like I said, it all goes back into the show. So it's all definitely worth it. None of it lines my pocket. It's all intended to help the show grow and make it so that any guest I have on the show, I can give them as big of a platform as I possibly can because that's just how I feel that they should get. If they take the time to come onto the show, I want to try to give them the best platform I could possibly give them at my disposal. So again, the only way it's going to happen is through your guys' help. And anything that you guys do, I more than appreciate. And if you guys donate and it doesn't give you the option to leave some type of personalized message, shoot me a message. Let me know what you guys donated because I'd love to give you guys a big shout out because I appreciate anything that you guys do as far as that goes. And uh, the third way you guys can support the show is through the Open Minds Media Merch Store. Um, I am currently working on it right now as far as trying to update and renew the whole store. Um, I'm going to be closing the old store and opening up a new store with everything a little bit easier to navigate, a little set up a little bit easier. It's going to have all the new logos. It's going to have the uh, new, or the, not new now, but the squonk design that I did for uh, Squonkapalooza. Uh, There should be some more cryptid designs going on over there, but uh, I'm going to be expanding the merch store. It's going to be really, really cool. So if it isn't already dropped by the time this episode comes out, it will be dropping very soon because this episode is recorded about a week early. So you know, I might already have it up by then, but definitely go and check it out. Um, as soon as the old one gets disconnected, and the new one gets set up. Uh, I will do a post for it on Instagram. So if you guys are following over there, you guys will definitely know. And uh, if you guys join the Patreon, you'll get uh, exclusive merch store discounts. So definitely worth going and checking out. Uh, maybe go and join the Patreon, uh, and then you'll get yourself a little bit of a discount on some of the merch that you might guys might enjoy scooping over there. But uh, the third way you guys can support the show is through word of mouth, spreading the word of the show, interacting with the show, becoming part of the community of the show, because my focus for this year is that I want to try to make it so that there's as big of a community as I possibly can involved around the show, make it so it's not just, you know, a weekly podcast that you listen to, but it's an interactive community. And the only way I'm going to be able to do that again is with your guys' help. So don't be afraid to pop into the discord, pop into the telegram, um, interact, share the show with friends. Uh, you know, let me know your guys thoughts about things. Let me know what you guys are thinking of the show Let me know what you guys think I could do to keep making the show even better Even simply just shoot me a message. Let me know what you guys think of particular episodes Let me know your guys thoughts on different things I'd love to be able to do all that kind of stuff with you guys But the only way it's going to happen is if you guys break the ice and shoot me a message because I see the numbers I know you guys are out there listening, but I don't necessarily know your guys faces and I won't know your guys' faces until you guys shoot me a message and we break that chain of communication because a lot of you listeners I do interact with on a regular basis and I love doing it. So, you know, become one of those people. I'd love to make it so that you're on one of my regular people that I talk to. But again, only it's going to happen is if you message me first because I don't have a way of knowing you guys yet. But um, while we're talking about diff- different types of support, you guys don't forget to go and check out Joe over there at Theology absolutely killing it every single day with all of his awesome designs that he creates all based around crypto related things. Uh, He did drop some new designs recently. Uh, Definitely worth going and checking out. And if you guys are attending the event in West Virginia, he will be vending there too. So not only can you come and see me, you guys can go and scoop some awesome t-shirts from Joe, make it so it's fun all around for you guys. But uh, everything that I mentioned, of course, is all available down in the link tree down in the show description. And with that, let's get into the show. Please welcome back to the show, filmmaker and cryptid researcher, Alex Petekov. How's it going today, man?
1: Hey, thanks for having me on again, man. Uh, it seems like we do every... Every four to five months, six months, we do an update, so that's kind of cool, but appreciate you having me on once again.
0: Dude, I'm down to do that, honestly, because you're a really fun guest to have on the show, and uh, you know, it's kind of cool, too. We finally got to meet in person, so I got to have you on the show twice, we got to meet in person on the in between, and now we're doing it again, so it's like a little bit different of a conversation since we've talked in person now, but dude, it's fun, and I'd love to have you on every couple months for an update. It sounds like it'd be cool.
1: (laughs) For sure, yeah. No, that was fun, getting to hang out at Monster Fest a little bit. We did our first Monster Fest event there in Canton, Ohio back in June. There will be a MonsterFest too, which is coming up, I think, June 27th also in canton ohio uh, june 27 2024 so hopefully we'll see you there or at some other event before then
0: actually better yet i'm actually going to be vending at at, a small town monster fest too as soon as you guys did the first one i uh hit up jason i know he recently had left the small town monsters crew but uh he hooked me up with talking to uh what's courtney the one who sets everything up
1: she puts it up she does she's the mastermind so Awesome. Well, that means I'll see you there either in either case. So that's perfect.
0: Oh yeah. I'm going to be repping for both shows and open minds media and all the other stuff that I've been expanding into. And hopefully I can make it a yearly thing. And dude, I think that's going to, that event's going to be awesome. Cause you know, you got CryptidCon, that's probably like the biggest one currently, but you guys last year were like almost to the numbers of CryptidCon from like what I saw as many people there. So I think that you guys and cryptid are going to be like the number t- one and two. I don't even want to say number one and two, let's say one and one and uh, a as far as like cryptid events go. So I'm looking forward to it, dude. And I'm looking forward to see how much it ends up growing as each year goes on.
1: Yeah, I mean, we were blown away by the response and how many people showed up. And, you know, I've done a lot of events over the years, uh, conferences, and I may be biased, of course, by saying this was probably one of the best events I've been to, you know, being associated with it. But I genuinely think everyone I talked to told me this was an amazing time. They said so many good things about it because i don't think it was a traditional cryptid or bigfoot kind of event where it's focused around speakers and you have a small vendor section or event kind of section with vendors it was multiple things going on you had speakers but that's not the main attraction you've also got people in a podcast room there's movie screenings going on next year we're going to be doing uh, tutorials on how to track uh, or how to make casts you know with guys like Joe Perdue from Wild and Weird West Virginia. So this is going to be tutorials, workshops. So you have all these things you can do at any given time. And we have people who are kind of uh, well-known in this arena, people like Cliff Barrickman, Lyle Blackburn, a lot of others. None of those guys were speaking, right? They were just there strictly as guests. So it's more of like an environment where you get to hang out with people you maybe look up to or aware of their work. Instead of just going and everyone's swamping them after they've spoken, they're just hanging out at the event all day. So it was... I think it was a little bit of a different take on some of these events. And you know, like I said, I've done a lot of them and it was definitely one of the coolest ones I've done. Of course, i mentioned, I am biased about it, but uh, hopefully see what, see other people at uh, monster fest next year.
0: Dude, coming from somebody who was an attendee this year, <clears throat> it was one of my personal favorites because every time I walked around a corner, I saw somebody I knew. So it was like reuniting with people. It, well, I guess you could, it feels like reuniting, even though it was all people I've talked to online, hadn't actually seen in person. And there was a few people I didn't even expect to be there. So, like, it was great even for that aspect that I, I pretty much knew everybody there. It was like a super friendly event. Um, it seemed like everybody was having fun. And it was one of those things, too, where it seemed like the kids that were there were having just as much fun as the adults were. Because normally, like you were saying, when everything's kind of based around speakers, it's more geared towards the older crowd. But with this one, having all the vending booths, having, like, the TV screenings and everything of the your guys' new films, having the podcast area, it just seemed like an accompanied like family orientation a lot more. Like my kids had just as much fun as I did where CryptidCon, it was like they had fun through the booths, but they didn't want to sit through the speeches. So it worked out that way. I think it's just going to keep expanding that way, especially if you guys do, you know, like the casting and all that too, it's just going to bring more of like the family kind of feel to it.
1: Yeah. I'm not to, not to keep talking about monster fest, but I was going to ask, you know, how your kids thought it was because I noticed you had them there. So yeah, all the kids we had there seemed to have a good time. And that's what we strive for was like a family friendly environment because we've got all ages that watch some of our content. So we're kind of conscious about that, you know, make it educational, interesting and, and, and just a family friendly environment and not have it just focused around the speakers, but kind of have it encapsulate everything. So I'm super excited for monster fest too.
0: She's been asking about it ever since we, uh, since we went, she's like, when's the next one? When are you going? I'm like, babe, I'm bending it. It's going to be fine. Like we're going no matter what, I'm already going to be there. I'm going to be one of the people that are vending. So like we're going, so don't worry.
1: (laughs) Uh, we look forward to it, man
0: But uh, I guess kind of a good way to lead off from there uh, when we were there we were talking about how you're about to take some big trip up to Alaska So I'd love to get a little bit more into what you ended up doing on that trip and the fun you had I guess on the way going up to Alaska because the drive is just as much fun as a destination in my opinion
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of road trips and this was probably the road trip of a lifetime. I got to take so uh monster fest was the first weekend of june this past year and the next weekend in june after monster fest i was slated to speak slash screen some films at the boreal bigfoot expo which is in fairbanks alaska long way between canton ohio and fairbanks alaska so uh, based off of that event i was actually going to spend a month in alaska doing a bunch of production work uh kind of looking back on some threads from our last visit from 2022 to alaska so it was kind of a continuation trip, but it kind of, it was a perfect storm and it worked out that I was able to drive up to Alaska, something I've always wanted to do. I mean, it's, it's one of those bucket list kind of trips. So right after Monster Fest, I drove from Canton, Ohio to Alaska and it was, I left Canton on Sunday and by Friday afternoon, I was in Fairbanks, Alaska. I drove up with my brother and we got to spend a lot of time together, just driving through some of the most desolate Wilderness in North America. You have this road, the Alaska Highway. We spent two days just blitzing through the boring parts of the U.S. and Canada, which is like the Midwest. No offense to the Midwest, but Wisconsin, Minnesota, North Dakota, then the Canadian prairies of Saskatchewan, Alberta. Not much to see there, right? It's just flat highways, (laughs) flat as long as you can see. I'm a mountain guy, so it's not for me. So we just wanted to get through that. We get to British Columbia on Monday night, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday—three and a half days—we spent driving the 1,400-mile Alaska highway, which goes from Dawson Creek, British Columbia, to Delta Junction, Alaska, which is just a couple hours outside of Fairbanks, which is the second-largest city in Alaska. And majority of this Alaska highway is actually in Canada, so you're going through British Columbia. And then into the Yukon territory before you hit Alaska. So you can imagine some of the scenery as you're driving through northern British Columbia. It's the northern Rocky Mountains. And then you get into the Yukon and you've got these incredible mountains all around. And I've never seen more bears in my life. I mean, we saw dozens of black bears on the side of the road, even saw a grizzly bear from the road. We saw woodland bison, saw huge moose, uh, caribou, deer, coyote. Uh, fox. I mean, I I probably a bunch of porcupines, rabbits. I mean, everything on the side of the roads. And what was so cool is uh, we we got to camp along the way. So we got into the Northern Rocky Mountains and we spent our first night Wednesday driving through. Uh, actually, Tuesday I should say Tuesday. We got to do some hiking along the way. We got to visit uh, the famous hot springs in Leard Hot Springs, which is an area that. You know, it's just a nice little refresher. You've been driving for three, four days straight, and you get to go to a nice hot spring. I mean, that's just a really cool way to enjoy it. And just driving that entire stretch up was incredible. And that's actually been put into a film that uh, came out on the Small Town Monsters YouTube channel back in, I believe, August, uh, called the Alaska Bigfoot Highway. And there was a lot of kind of strange coincidences that happened while we were on the trip. Uh, we came across some places, and I was looking up Sasquatch sightings, and there's virtually Sasquatch sightings. Within every 100 miles of stretch of road on the Alaska Highway, so 1,400 miles, there's Bigfoot sightings all along from northern British Columbia into the Yukon, right as you cross into Alaska, all the way to the end of the highway. So I named the film The Alaska Bigfoot Highway because it not only is a road trip documentary that documents our journey from the start of the Alaska Highway to the finish, to the Boreal Bigfoot Expo. So Bigfoot was the reason we were on the highway. But along the way, I was told some stories and to talk to some researchers. And it's kind of funny. We visited a little place called Teslin Yukon, which is right as when you cross from British Columbia into the Yukon. It's a very desolate area. So you're hitting just a few small communities and towns along the way. And we hit Teslin and we visited this wildlife uh, kind of display where they had some of the great northern wildlife in those kind of taxidermy displays. Really cool and they had a mask of one that was the Zonaqua, which is the Sasquatch from a coastal tribe in British Columbia. So I inquired with the lady who worked there, said, oh, you know, where'd you guys get that mask? And she said, oh, it was donated from somebody. And I asked her, do you have any stories of Sasquatch or anything like that in this area? She said, I don't, but my grandmother, she was Clinkit Indian or, or First Nations there in, in Canada. And she lived in that area. And apparently, Many years ago, they had found some kind of tracks, and they and she said there were people in the area who had stories. Talked to some other tribal members there as well, and they said, yeah, there's there are definitely stories in the area. But that lady told me, you should talk to a guy named Red Grossinger, which is funny enough, Red was actually one of the speakers at the Boreal Bigfoot Expo. So she's telling me this, and in a few days, I will be at this expo <laughs> that Red will be a speaker at. So I actually got to interview Red. And he uh, has been researching Sasquatch in the Yukon for a couple of decades, if not more. So he's one of the interviewees in the Alaska Bigfoot High, which is really cool. And then a few days later, as on our last day, we're, crass- we're crossing the border to get into Alaska from the Yukon. And the uh, you know you're cr- it's an international crossing of a boundary. So we're crossing back into the U.S. Just a strange feeling. you. Know, you- like you're in the same continent, but you're you left the U.S. and then you're going back into it. But the border agent asks, you know, what are you guys doing up here? I said, well, honestly, I'm going to be up here for a month doing you know, Sasquatch documentaries and looking for weird stuff.
0: Probably give you a funny look.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it. He he told me. I said, you know, hey, I'm going up to a Bigfoot conference this weekend. He said, do you know a guy named Mike Thompson? I said, I sure do. Well, Mike Michael Thompson goes by the Sasquatch Tracker, he actually was also a speaker at the Boreal Bigfoot Expo who was seeing at the same event. Michael was a former border guard there on the Alaska border for many years, and that's his primary research area was kind of that Alaskan border that that borders the Yukon. So immediately when I said that, he knew Mike because he had recently, I guess, retired from that border post, and he led us through right away. So I just thought it was funny that along the way I was meeting people – Or being told of people that I was going to be meeting at the Boreal Bigfoot Expo. And I also got to interview Michael Thompson, and he's in the documentary as well, sharing his stories about uh, the British Columbia border or the Yukon, Canada, Alaska border area, which is funny because, I mean, it's the same habitat if you look at it, right? You've got Alaska here, British Columbia here, and then you've got the border that crosses between I mean both sides are extreme wilderness with very little human population. So for something like a Sasquatch that habitat would be universal. For moose, bear, wolves, all the animals that live there, they they just cross the border free will. I mean that to them it's the same whether in the Yukon or in Alaska. Mm-hmm. It's only human invention that there is a difference between those two territories. So it was really cool to talk to somebody who researches Sasquatch on one side of the border and another one who researches on the other side of the border. So getting them to compare and contrast their kind of stories yeah. and how similar they were, that was really cool. So that's that was an awesome road trip. But from there, I got to spend uh, – that was about a week, so I spent another month there in Alaska. Uh, we spent one week up in the interior part of Alaska, so after the Boreal Bigfoot Expo – We were in Fairbanks, which is very centrally located in Alaska. I mean, almost the geographic center of the state. And we got to drive out to some areas a few hours out from there, do some investigating in places that had some sightings and history. And was cool about an event like the Boreal Bigfoot Expo or any other kind of Sasquatch cryptid event, even Monster Fest, Crypticon, whatever, I often get to talk to locals who have stories from those areas. So in a place like Alaska, we're better to talk to folks, I mean, it's sparsely populated. Alaska is the largest state in the U.S., and it's got a population of just over 700,000. I mean, that's really not a lot. That's just a few hundred thousand more than Vermont, which you could probably fit 30 of in in Alaska. I mean, I don't know. It's just that big of a state, and it's very sparsely populated. So getting those stories, there was a couple stories I was told at the Boreal Bigfoot Expo that we kind of got to go follow up on. So we got to spend some time in the Alaskan bush, which was miserable because the mosquitoes were absolutely insane. And uh, another film that actually just came out recently is called *Tales from Alaska's Interior*, which is under my *Bigfoot Beyond the Trail* uh, series. And that's that covers our adventures, you know, continuation right off, piggybacking right off of the Alaska Bigfoot Highway. That's like the following week where we went out to these areas in interior Alaska. We went towards Denali National Park, followed up on a story from that area. Got to meet up with a guy that we had interviewed who was in Land of the Missing, Norm, who was a former uh, park employee in the National Park Service in Denali National Park. And he had some pretty interesting Bigfoot-like stories to share. So that was really cool. And then two weeks of the Alaska trip I spent at Area A down on the Kenai Peninsula, which was featured in last year's The Alaskan Coastal Sasquatch Documentaries, that property with a history of weird activity, uh, the one that's pretty far out. I got to spend two weeks out there. And that's part of an ongoing series called Dark Coast: Hunt for the Alaskan Bigfoot. There's two episodes currently out as of recording this podcast on our YouTube channel, but I'm currently editing the third episode of that series. So that's kind of an ongoing series. It's a little different than the, the Beyond the Trail, which is somewhat of a adventure series, investigative, interviewing eyewitnesses. It's it's kind of a, it's got more of a storyline to it, whereas this Dark Coast series is. Uh, it's not for everybody. It's definitely more for uh, people who like a more uh, boots on the ground, heavy uh, kind of approach to research. So uh, there's not a lot of interviews, not a lot of dialogue. It's just raw us, here's us walking around the woods, finding an abandoned cabin for like 20 minutes. So it's that kind of stuff, a little bit stylistically, a little different. So, uh, and then, you know, I spent one final week, actually, or two weeks after that in Alaska. Um, and that was kind of just some more filming. And then I drove back from Alaska in mid-July. So it was about a month and a half that I was on the road. So I was extremely lucky to be able to do a trip like this, uh, something I've wanted to do for a long time. I decided to do it now because it, it everything kind of lined up perfectly between Monster Fest, the Boreal Bigfoot Expo. you know, Just everything kind of worked, and I'm super glad I took the journey.
0: Oh, yeah, dude. That sounds like a trip of a lifetime. Like I said, like I would give anything to be able to do a trip like that. Like, and on top of the fact you got to film and do something with it too. So it wasn't just like a standard trip. It was like, you got to do something while you were doing it, which I feel like it just makes it all the better too. Cause then you're able to like share all of your experiences and share all the fascinating stories you find rather than just like hearing them and collecting them. But at least from like the trip, like you were saying, it seems like, uh, you know, as far as you come down here, Like towards Ohio, Michigan area, like you have your certain pocket areas where people are pretty open about like the possibility of like Bigfoot or Sasquatch type beings. But it seems like the farther you go north, the more open people are about it. And it seems like there's a lot less people that are skeptical of it being a possibility. Um, Maybe it's just the wilderness altogether. Or maybe it's because when you live in a place like that, you pretty much, you know, somebody that's had some kind of weird experience. So it brings it a lot more close to home when you know somebody who's had a personal experience, even if it isn't necessarily you. Yeah,
1: this is what I'd say about just Alaska now, having that experience from not only this year going up there for a month, but having spent, you know, we spent almost three weeks up there last year, too, on our initial kind of trip up there. And we filmed the Alaskan coastal films as well as Land of the Missing and uh, the poster I have behind me there uh, this way for On the Trail of Bigfoot, The Last Frontier. People up there, it's like, it's 50-50 chance when you talk to somebody about Bigfoot, they're either going to say, oh, no, I don't believe, kind of typical response, or they will be open to it. Either they believe or they know somebody who hasn't who's had an encounter. I mean, that's, it's very, like, when I would talk to people, it was very surprising, very clean cut in that kind of aspect. Uh, a lot of places I go to, you know, maybe like one in 10 people you talk to might open about it or have a story and most people don't believe but there it was like the odds are very very good for uh for which which direction it would go in you're either gonna know they really don't think it's worth anything or they think it's stupid or they have some kind of story to tell or something like that so that was really cool and obviously going to a place like the boreal bigfoot expo going to a bigfoot related event it's going to attract the people that are into that stuff. So that's a good way to get those stories that you might not normally get if you were just in a random setting. But uh, yeah, just that whole area, even driving through British Columbia, of course, British Columbia, very well known, especially the Southern part of British Columbia for the Sasquatch. That's where that story originates. And uh, it was, it was really interesting because uh, you just a few weeks, literally before I left for this Alaska trip, we did a crew wide trip with the whole STM crew to British Columbia. I was out there for about 10 days. It did some filming out there and it was absolutely incredible. But for me it was cool because I saw that southern part of British Columbia during that trip. And those are some videos that are going to be upcoming as well and we're doing an on the trail of Bigfoot film as well about that kind of the origins of the whole North American Sasquatch mythos which started out differently, I should say in some aspects than even Bigfoot. Bigfoot was more of the American version. Now they're they're described virtually the same type of creature but the Sasquatch has a longer history going back to the 1920s and even earlier with the tribes and uh, first nations people in British Columbia and the term Sasquatch being coined when Bigfoot was becoming popular in the late fifties in the U S there's still newspaper clippings that say uh, a new type of Sasquatch has been found. It's called the Bigfoot. So there was almost like a kind of a pre-existing notion about stories of tall hairy man like creatures in the mountains. So uh, it was really cool to see, from my perspective, an area of the world that I hadn't seen a whole lot of. I'd never been to British Columbia before, never been to the Yukon. I'd been to Alaska, of course, a little bit last year, but now I kind of saw it, but from the ground, driving fully from you know, uh, Alberta, seeing the Alberta Rocky Mountains, and then into British Columbia and up that Alaska Highway. And you see how much space is out there. It's truly frightening, actually. Uh, and you see the entirety of North America. I mean, I went from essentially from the East Coast, to Alaska and back over the course of the summer and there is so much space it's insane you could walk off any part of the Alaska Highway essentially never be seen again I mean it's that desolate and remote not much cell service along the entire route so we're using you know my Garmin inReach uh, satellite communicator just to get messages out and that kind of thing and it was just staggering to see that but uh, for me again seeing southern British Columbia and then the northern part within the same summer and then the Yukon and Alaska, it just shows you this continuous habitat of just where we humans are really few and far between. in most of these places we're all congregated in cities and around uh, some of those areas. So once you really get out into the bush, there's just nothing out there. So uh, you know, people that have traveled those areas, people that live in those areas, I think there's, that's why there's probably more so of an openness to, well, I mean, look around us we're surrounded by giant animals all the time. There could be another one out there. And there just are a lot of stories. So uh, that's why I think there is that attitude of, you know, you talk to one person, they're against it. And the, the next person you talk to is definitely open-minded about it, more so than maybe other places in the U.S.
0: I mean, as far as like when you get out there too, talking about how like isolated and desolate it is, too, I feel like that plays a huge factor in it because, I mean, there's, there's two different sides to it. It's either one like when you when you're closer to down here you hear about like a lot more like standoffish type of sasquatch stories and i mean maybe that's just because there's a lot more cities and a lot more populated areas where people don't go missing as much i mean they definitely do of course but then the farther you start going north and you start getting through canada and you start getting into alaska with all those desolate areas it's like either one, it could be animals taking people, or two, it could be Sasquatch taking people. And maybe that's what builds up a lot of the folklore. And I mean, even getting into like different possibilities of like Sasquatch behavior, I mean, down here where there's more cities, maybe, sasquatch theoretically doesn't go after as many people like that because they know that there's a chance that somebody might figure out where they are for example and possibly come in and start poaching on them or hunting them because i've kind of like theorized about the whole concept that down here they've kind of learned to stay hidden because next thing you know there's going to be a mob of people looking for them and that's when they run into their problem because essentially they survive off of not being seen but up there they could easily like attack somebody and eat somebody if they needed to, because nobody would ever find them, nobody would ever question them, and everybody would possibly blame it on animals. So maybe the behavior is a little bit different based on the area that they're in and also based on what they can get away for, get away with before they start having human intervention start coming into their areas.
1: Yeah, no, there's a lot of interesting theories. I don't know exactly um, how it all works. Of course, it's all speculative in nature, but you look down in the South, there are some kind of aggressive encounters. Places like Oklahoma, Falk, Arkansas, the Falk monster, certain kind of skunk ape stories. But maybe that's just because those environments are tough. You've got alligators and hogs and poisonous snakes and all kinds of crazy critters. Whereas uh, typical Sasquatch descriptions, at least in most of the Appalachian Mountains, going from like Georgia up to my neck of the woods here in the Northeast, New Hampshire, into Maine, all along those Appalachian Mountains, the Sasquatch reports aren't very aggressive. They're typically that kind of typical Pacific Northwest-esque Sasquatch fleeting glimpse that's trying to get away from you. Uh, I wouldn't call it a forced gentle giant, but you know, if there is some kind of aggressive behavior report, it's usually threatening and just rock throwing, just maybe trying to get you out of the area. I don't know. Uh, the, obviously, in a place like Alaska and northern British Columbia, these Yukon, all these areas, is just not a lot of people out there. Um, but there are some aggressive encounters of course, you've got stories like the Port Chatham kind of incident. And I think the, the truth is a little twisted in that story, but uh, even the place like Area A where we visited, you know, the property owner there had experienced a lot of kind of aggressive behavior, uh, rock throwing, uh, stuff being slammed, uh, the kind of roaring type noises that seem sort of intimidating. So I don't know. I mean, there is Bergman's rule where animals get larger the further north you go. So you look at like deer in some of these areas in Canada compared to say in Florida, they're like the size of a small dog. And you go up to even in my neck of the woods, a deer up here a lot bigger than down in Florida. And the moose, we get big moose up here in New Hampshire, but I've never seen a larger moose than one of the ones we saw crossing the Alaska highway as we were driving up to Alaska. I mean, this it was a a bull moose with the full antlers, and this was just a behemoth of a creature. Uh, and I've seen some big moose in Maine and New Hampshire, but this thing took the cake. I mean, it was a monster and I was filming it. And I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> Once we got closer and realized how big this thing was. I'm, and that's the largest subspecies of moose on earth is that I think they call it the Yukon slash Alaska moose. They, there's there's four or five different subspecies and there's like the Eastern moose, which is what I have here, even in my yard in New Hampshire and kind of in this surrounding area, you've got the, I think the Rocky mountain moose And then um, I think there's one in Canada, I don't remember the name, that's kind of throughout most of Canada. So from Quebec, Ontario, into the prairies, and then into Alberta. And then you go up to Alaska, Yukon, that area, that's those large Alaska moose, which are just monsters. You've got huge bears and things up there. So a lot of these creatures, and some of the reports with Sasquatch, like some of that stuff was covered in Land of the Missing in our film about maybe the alleged connection between missing people and Sasquatch. Now I I'm very cautious about prescribing that sort of as a possibility with Sasquatch. I think if it does happen, it's probably pretty rare in general, like anywhere Sasquatch is involved with missing people and that sort of thing. Um, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities though, because whatever Sasquatch is, I mean, with aggressive behavior, it's not out of the question to say that if these things are real and they're out there, they might be, they might have the ability to be aggressive. Right. Bears and moose and all these other animals can be very aggressive if need be. I mean, they're wild animals. Uh, You know, there's some people argue Sasquatch are some kind of human-like species or whatever. Uh, Hominids, hominin really depends. Relict hominid. Humans, too. We can be very violent if need be. I mean, look at just uh, our our near relatives, chimps and gorillas. can be extremely violent when necessary. I mean, they could, you know, chimps ripping people's faces off unpredictable behavior a lot of with wild animals you don't know so if a sasquatch is a creature of the land that just lives there where it seems like attacks and that sort of stuff is pretty rare that possibility is still there i wouldn't discount it entirely i think it'd be foolish to say that wouldn't be a possibility right so uh that's some of the stuff that was covered in land of the missing and and even in in my latest film interior a Ala- lot tales from interior alaska you know we talked about some kind of weird mist. Disappearances didn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, I'm not really, again, I'm not huge into that. I think a vast majority of people that go missing across North America and wilderness areas in general, like upwards of 95% of people that go missing, it's weather, it's wildlife, very rarely, but it does happen. It's mostly human stupidity. People put themselves in bad situations, they're not prepared. I've hiked and, and uh, backpacked for quite a while, and I've seen the craziest things ever on the trail people trying to go hiking and flip-flops uh, people being unprepared in, in very dangerous situations weather can change in an instance hypothermia dehydration uh, all kinds of insane stuff can happen in the wilderness and in a place like alaska that's amplified tenfold than anywhere else really in the lower 48 because of the remoteness people go up there missing at a higher rate simply because they're just not ready for those conditions and it's Alaska's a has no mercy for mistakes so uh that is i think that's largely responsible for most people nowadays going missing again there are those weird outliers that i cannot speak for and i'm not discounting that entirely but that's that's kind of the whole point of in in the the land of the missing in that film we talk about um and as you've seen it we've talked about kind of just all these possibilities and some of the weirder cases so Uh, you know, it's not like we're ignoring it or negating it, but it's definitely there. And I think people who do say, well, there's no way, you know, these things are peaceful forest brethren and giants. I think that's, that's kind of foolish in my opinion, because uh, if, if a chimp, if a a small chimp can have the power to basically beat up three or four adult men in terms of strength, imagine something that's uh, six to eight feet tall, weighing it upwards of, five to 800 pounds, maybe more. I mean, the cubic muscle uh, that would be available to that creature would be absolutely ridiculous. So I, mean, I think it's just something we need to kind of just to think about. I mean, it's it's because, again, it's all just theor- theorizing, but it's still a theory that I don't think is should be completely invalidated.
0: No, I mean, uh, for, like, even just off of the idea that if people go missing in the wild, I'm sure it contributes and entwines into the folklore about, oh, a Sasquatch got him. It just kind of begins to become a thing that people kind of say to begin with. And I mean, people are violent towards other people to begin with. I mean, you don't even necessarily have to straight compare it to like a chimp, just a person to a person. And even just a person off a muscle memory, like theoretically, if these things are living out in the woods and every time they have an encounter with a human, somebody starts trying to shoot at them, like, what do you think their first reaction is going to be if they see people then going forward? It's going to be that they're not going to be like, oh, I'm just going to peek around a tree and kind of watch them, especially out there where the wilderness is so vast. Like everybody of course, is going to have some type of gun on them for some type of protection against animals. So if you see a giant ape-like creature moving around the woods, your first reaction out there is going to be to shoot towards it or shoot up in the air, or just do something to kind of get it away from you. So it's just an instant reaction that, you know, down here, people aren't aren't you know as quick to draw out a gun and start shooting at stuff if they see something moving in the woods. But up there, even, you know, the most minuscule animals are still way bigger out there than down here. So there's still a chance that they're going to come after you. So no matter what, I mean, you're going to, want to take some type of a precaution and possibly, like I said, even shoot a shoot into the ground or something to kind of keep them away. But after generations and generations and generations of them hearing gunshots, every single time they see a human, like I would assume that he'd be more aggressive towards people anyways up there. Cause I mean, even person to a person, the same, same story, the same type of thing would happen if you were like a woodsman, for example. And every time you saw people, they didn't understand you and they shot towards you, your reaction is going (laughs) to be a lot more aggressive towards those people than going forward.
1: (laughs) Probably going to be pretty negative. Well, it's interesting. Actually, there's some evidence that some predators, when they hear gunshots, associate that with leftovers and a kill. So hunters, and this, uh, this is, I I believe there's a couple studies out on this, uh, some papers written on it where you have gunshots and wolves and other predators associating that with hunting, human hunting, meaning oh, there's, there might be a gut pile left out of this, or maybe I can outsmart this person and steal their kill without all the effort. So that's kind of something interesting to think about. Primates, of course, very intelligent. Whatever Sasquatch is, I mean, it, I think whatever it is, it's some kind of primate. I mean, like we are primates, right? Look how different we are from chimps. But you're right, though. In Alaska, the threats are different. So, I mean, I, I have a lot of friends now that live up there, that I've people that I've gotten to know between last year and this year, and just a lot of them even going to get the mail. If they live in an area that even in Anchorage or not that far from town, they have brown bear that come into their yards. They have gigantic moose. Moose are the most dangerous animal in Alaska. Technically, statistically, moose can be extremely aggressive. I mean, they are a large bull. Male is 1,200 plus pounds. And they have a very tiny brain. So... That's not a good combo. Moose can get very aggressive and stomp people to death. Uh, There's lots of videos of snowmobilers being attacked, for example, having to defend themselves. Uh, And then brown bear, of course, are an ambush predator. Black bear, you know, not something exactly like a super worrying. I mean, for example, I live in New Hampshire, right? I live in the woods. I have moose that I've documented on my property on trail camera. Mostly have white tailed deer out here, coyotes, foxes, that kind of stuff, bobcats. Uh, And then we also do get brown bear pretty, or excuse me, not brown bear, black bear pretty frequently. Black bear in general, you know, you don't want to deal with it. There have been some break-ins on my street where people have had a bear 1 a.m. break into their kitchen trying to steal food because maybe they smelled something. Uh, So it does happen, but generally, statistically, they're not that dangerous, whereas a brown bear is extremely dangerous. So me going to get the mail, I don't really have to, I'm not that worried. I'm not going to carry a gun or bear spray for the most part, unless there's been a recent sighting. I'm not going to carry that down to the get the mail where some of my friends in Alaska going out to get the mail without bear spray might be a really stupid thing or even carrying some sort of firearm, especially if they live outside of town. I mean, but again, uh, I have a friend who lives right outside of uh, Anchorage and he gets brown bear in his yard. There have been fatal attacks on hiking trails right near his community. So it's a totally different way of dealing with threats up there. And I, I think people in a lot of places don't have to deal with in the United States. It's really stands alone in that kind of category. And that goes for those parts of Northern Canada as well. It's obviously same kind of terrain, same kind of critters. So, um, yeah, it's just interesting kind of thing to think about what people deal up, deal with up there. So they people might be more cautious as it is in terms of, I don't want to say trigger happy, but definitely... People up there, almost everyone's armed, or at least carrying bear spray. But most people up there will tell you too: I mean, bear spray isn't going to cut it. You should at least have a firearm as well. Uh, so, it's it's one of those things. It's just kind of part of living in an area that's still very much dominated by nature, where humans are kind of the outliers. It's not like most places where we control the environment, and you have to drive three hours to the mountains to get to an area where you. You're in a pretty wild place. This is literally the opposite. It's nature's coming closer all the time in a place like Alaska. And I mean, if that applies to Sasquatch, maybe, I don't know, but that's obviously just food for thought.
0: No, I mean, even so, I mean, the closest thing that people would relate seeing out in the wild to, uh, to a Sasquatch would be a bear. So living in Alaska, again, you don't want to take any chances with bears. So if you see anything moving that has that body shape, you know, you're not going to take any chances. So again, that kind of falls into the whole idea with them too. And I know that last time we were talking, we were talking about the whole like female voice connection. And you were saying that you're going to bring some females up to uh, that cabin that you were talking about that's in Alaska, that you're going to try to do some experiments with females. And I'm kind of wondering, too, if maybe that's a connection with what you were saying, where, you know, when people are hunting, they hear a gunshot, uh, animals will come, assuming that they're going to get some type of food. You know, there's the whole thing with Alaska as far as like hearing females and that, and Sasquatch taking females theoretically and just all these females disappearing out there. I wonder if there's a connection with that with animals, too, where if they hear like a female voice, for example, um, they kind of associate it with maybe like an easier form of prey. Not saying that like females can't defend themselves, but just right. going through decades and decades of like hunting and gathering and just people living out there in rural areas, typically like the male would be the one that's dealing with like the big animals and the female would be the one that's yeah. like protecting the family. So I'm kind of curious if a lot of this stuff is associated with the fact of when they hear a female voice, they're like, Ooh, a meal. And I get some kids on top of it. And I mean, I'm not necessarily relating that to Sasquatch, but just animals in general though.
1: Yeah, I know. It's interesting to think about obviously. Uh, and, and this is something I've talked to female researchers that I know about. And they, you know, a lot of them say they have, they have, Increased activity, maybe it's a more softer presence. I mean, you imagine a group of guys going in the woods, often armed, whether they're bigfooting or not, right? If they're hunting, that looks like a hunting party. It's kind of a threatening sort of, you know, testosterone kind of fueled sort of thing. It's giving off that energy, whereas a female presence might be maybe softening, softening that presence up. I don't know, but uh, those stories that the the Tlingit people there in Alaska tell about the interesting kind of hearing the baby crying in the woods and that's used to lure women in. I mean, that's a story, obviously folkloric story told by them that's associated with either these stories of hairy man or Kushtaka, which is kind of seen as an otter man described as a swimming kind of hairy creature. And there have been Sasquatch sightings in parts of Canada and Alaska where these creatures have been seen swimming between channels, between islands and the mainland. We've seen bears, mountain lions, Uh, elk, deer, moose swim between, even in saltwater swim from island to mainland. This is not something that's uncommon for animals in the coastal rainforest regions of British Columbia and Alaska happens a lot. So, uh, you know, why wouldn't Sasquatch hypothetically do it? But that's where that kind of Kushtaka story, in my opinion, might just be Sasquatch is seen swimming because it's described as the otter man, a, a hairy kind of bipedal creature that swims through the water and then goes into the shore. I mean, well, that sounds pretty interesting, right? A lot of mm-hmm. these cultures trying to, uh, uh, they're trying to make sense of something they're seeing that doesn't make sense. So maybe even they're differentiating that from the Sasquatch stories that they just see Sasquatches in terrestrial areas. I don't know. I can't speak for those groups. I'm not claiming to. This is just me kind of working through the motions on uh, trying to rationalize some of these kind of stories, you know, uh, as best I can. So it's interesting, you know, Um, and when we were up there at Area A, we did bring out a female researcher with us, uh, Rebecca Slick of the Olympic Project. She does some great work, and the Olympic Project are all fantastic folks, and we were lucky enough to have her out there and kind of just see what would happen, see if it would, you know, make our presence because just a bunch of guys for the most part out there, uh, see if this would change anything. I mean, this trip, it didn't really seem to make much of a difference. The activity was kind of slow uh, from what we sort of experienced. But, um, you know, that's the thing of a place like that, you have such a wide open space. They could just be in a different Valley and not feel like coming over, uh, this time of year, or maybe they're following prey. Maybe they're following other creatures around who knows. I mean, there's so many possibilities as to what's going on that, uh, it's, it's, if, if this was predictable and repeatable, we probably already would have solved it. So, um, you know, we're kind of still chasing that moving uh, needle in a gigantic haystack, but uh, that's it's part of the fun of it. You know, is it's always kind of it's a game of cat and mouse, and th- those times you do get some interesting activity. That's like whoa! That kind of fuels you going forward, and it's it, it reminds you of the reason why impartially you do some of this kind of stuff. At least for me,
0: I know. Last time you were talking about the handprint that you guys found on the cabin. Um, this time when you went, did you happen to find any more trace evidence or have anything else pop up? Anything else interesting? So
1: we found some potential hair samples. We think they might be bare, however, but we're open for interpretation. And There's currently a DNA study going on with a Professor Darby Orcutt of uh, University of North Carolina. I believe it's one of the first ever legit university-backed DNA studies about Sasquatch and So it's a really interesting prospect. So we're going to be submitting that to Darby. We didn't find any handprints or anything like that. I know recently, the past couple trips that the guys have taken out to the cabin, and they just took their last trip out of the season, they actually um, found some kind of weird scratch marks on the back. They're pretty high up. I don't know what's up with that. I did get some pictures. There's a possible sighting, very fleeting glimpse kind of thing. They did hear some stuff, though. Uh, It just depends like cycles. When we were out there, there was just possible kind of wood knock type noises. People kept, you know, we thought we heard some stuff at some point, Uh, nothing kind of as obvious as last year where we're sitting around a campfire and all of a sudden we hear these clear as day wood knocks on the ridge above us. And then what sounds like rocks being thrown into the water, first hitting objects along the way and mixed in with wood knocks and other kind of noises that we heard. And then that handprint, but uh, the working theory is that perhaps if these things are there, that maybe they come and visit the cabin after a number of days after everyone's left. We think that handprint that was there last year that we found was actually put before we showed up. So before we showed up about a week before we were there, the property owner and one other guy were there and they actually got some weird thing on thermal, this kind of skinny object up in the tree or not up in the tree up on the hillside. uh, Very undefined. It was very hard, hard to tell it wasn't focused either but uh, so about a week or so, maybe ten days. I don't exactly know how much time went between they left and we visited, and we think the handprint might have actually been put there during that time period, because we actually tried an experiment while we were there last year, where a couple of the guys left on the boat. They were dropping off our buddy Robert Menzies, who was heading home. So you know they they go and they're gone for a few hours because it takes you over an hour just to get back to a small town from this this remote location. So we hunkered down to see if maybe something would be interested. Nothing much happened while we were kind of hunkered down. And then uh, there were actually a couple other hand fingerprint looking things this year that were, were found earlier kind of in the season, but nothing super definitive like that really clear handprint from last year. So we kind of, and, and Larry beans Baxter, one of the researchers with us began sort of thinking, you know, Hey, um, is it possible that, These things come down after people have gone. I mean, you get one, two, three days of no activity. Maybe that's an opportunity to come down and say, hey, let's check out, see what's going on. Uh, Doesn't seem like they're comfortable coming down when people are in the area or exposing themselves or whatever. So that's just kind of the theory. I don't know. We don't have a lot of evidence, obviously, to go off of that. Just kind of our observations and trying to make sense of it all.
0: See, I'm kind of curious if they one come down to try to like scavenge the area to see if people left anything, or two. Um, I don't know if you've heard any stories about this, but I mean, you talk to a lot of Sasquatch researchers too. Um, I, I'm kind of curious too if they'll like use cabins in the woods sometimes just for just for like somewhere to stay theoretically. I mean, even if they don't stay there forever, maybe if there's like a really cold night or a really windy night, I'm kind of curious if they'll take the opportunity, if they know something's available in the area or if it's again, just strictly just them trying to scavenge the area after people have been there to see if they can find any kind of goodies or whatever. I mean, be it food or be it little objects because it seems like a lot of people do the gifting and they like to play with little objects and stuff. Like I'm kind of curious what the reasoning is.
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, Maybe might be something they would do. It's just kind of a crime of opportunity sort of thing. You just have the chance, hey, this is a transit spot. Um, I think with the situation with this cabin out there, being that it's in use, and it seems like a lot of the activity, especially pretty, I don't want to say spectacular, but pretty intriguing activity and the regularity of it happened earlier on when the cabin was first built a few years ago. That's when there seemed to be more activity, maybe almost in a threatening manner, like, hey, get out of here, get off my property get off my turf uh, kind of just nudging you to kind of get away and the activity has sort of died down in recent years it's become less spectacular and more just sort of interesting here and there you know maybe messing with people they had a story about a hatchet that went missing out there at one point uh that you know they thought was fully gone and they already bought a new one and by the time they were coming out for their next trip
0: everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich
1: as if it hadn't gone missing. I mean, it's almost like kind of messing with you, sort of thing. So I don't know what's going on, but uh, yeah, we we know so little in reality about what is going on here. Uh, all we really have is is our personal experiences, things that we've observed out there, anecdotal stories of eyewitnesses, and that sort of thing. And um, you know, when it comes to a place like this area, a it's just an area that we've kind of I've kind of hyper focused on. But a lot of the consistencies, a lot of the behaviors and stuff reported there or incidents, I should say, mirror places, other places in the U.S. and North America that have similar kind of activity, whether it be in the Pacific Northwest or even up here in the Northeast, down South. I mean, there's this weird consistency going on that kind of, to me, speaks to behaviors that might be associated with a species, like a consistent type of behavior uh, and just some of that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of lot of ways to think about it and a lot of a lot of kind of i don't want to say philosophizing about it but it kind of is you're looking at it from almost a philosophical perspective when you're trying to piece some of this stuff together because we don't really have a way to prove it or at this time uh, substantiate some of the theories we're just kind of piecing little parts together and seeing what makes sense and then looking at uh, things that might be going on that have parallels in the natural world which would be a lot of like gorilla chimp, great ape behavior. There's a lot of really interesting parallels with some of the reported Sasquatch behavior out there. Uh, that's pretty intriguing and, uh, definitely something that I'm, I'm kind of keen on, on looking into.
0: So, I mean, it's all obviously just theories and stuff, but as far as like Sasquatch goes, uh, what side do you kind of fall on that they're strictly like animalistic or that there's like an intelligence factor to them? Like, how, how do you kind of see them at least from your research
1: I absolutely think that uh, there is an intelligence there. If, if these things are you know, some sort of hominid, hominin, they would probably be intelligent. I mean, chimps, gorillas, other great apes are very intelligent. Uh, baboons, other primates, very intelligent creatures. I mean, they just have a larger brain than, say, a moose or undulates or other animals that are pretty dumb. you know. So whatever Sasquatch is, uh, if it's closer to us, closer to other apes, it's going to be somewhat intelligent. I don't think it's just a dumb big ape wandering around the woods. Uh, I don't think it's a, of the intelligence that it needs to necessarily be like us, where we use uh, ex, you know quite extensive tool usage, fire, obviously harvesting clothing and that sort of thing, uh, whereas other apes don't really do that either, like chimps and gorillas. Chimps will use primitive tools like little sticks and stuff. They'll beat rocks against things they'll crack things open using rocks, They're using sticks to get ants out of uh, nests that sort of or hives, bugs out of hives, that kind of thing. So there's you know, it's it's a different kind of intelligence. They're using it not for building technology and that sort of thing, but it's more of an ends to for means kind of technology where I can use this stick and get food out of here and it helps me. Whereas we humans were much more You know, we, we can't fight a chimp or something on our own physically. We were very weak in that perspective. We would absolutely get killed, you know, a band of chimps against a band of humans fist to fist, (laughs) (laughs) let alone gorillas or something like that. Right. So we have to use our intelligence to help us craft things and outsmart things. So whatever Sasquatches are, they seem to be pretty intelligent, uh, especially evading people, uh, probably more patient than most people in the woods out, out waiting you if maybe one's kind of pinned down in an area. I don't know. It's just obviously a theory, but yeah, there's a lot of kind of things to consider. But uh, I, 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 again, I don't think they're just some dumb ape that wanders around the woods because even chimps, gorillas and orangutans, they've, they've done some tests. They have higher, better cognitive functions in certain areas of their brains than humans, that they can beat people with basic puzzles and sort of things because we as humans are constantly distracted, especially nowadays with all the stuff we have going on and phones and technology and our minds are filled with all this crap. Whereas a a chimp or a gorilla, he's just wondering, what am I eating next? What's my next uh, sleeping spot? And then they might be able to outwiz us just in the moment with cognitive abilities tests. So it's pretty interesting, like pattern recognition, they can do pretty well, much better than probably most humans, especially because most humans have had their natural instincts in connection to nature pretty much eradicated, especially in the 21st century. Even our ancestors 100 years ago were much more in tune with wildlife and nature than they would be, uh, Well, th- than most of us are now. We live in cities and suburban areas and we rely on other people for pretty much everything that we do and eat, all that kind of stuff. So. We're a shell of our former selves in a way, whereas these apes are not. They are self-sufficient, self-reliant. So just again, in those moments, they might have a quicker cognitive function for certain aspects. That doesn't mean they're necessarily smarter than us. It just means they're using their that brain power in a different way. So if you're, your sole purpose is staying elusive and hidden in the wilderness, whether you're a chimpanzee or a Sasquatch, your brain power and your intellect is going to be going towards that as opposed to oh, I got to pay taxes or do whatever other garbage we as humans have to do, you know, that we kind of use for our intellect.
0: you, You honestly have the same method of thinking that I've had on it too. And a lot of people like to kind of throw in the idea that they're strictly like primal. And the way I've kind of seen it is that like we've adapted to live in cities with technology, kind of like you're explaining, but if you have something that's never had that, as a main priority in their mind, it's like, you can't really judge their intelligence necessarily in comparison to ours because it's like, they've never had a reason to learn to learn to read and write in the woods, for example, but yet they'll be able to tell you anything that's edible in the woods, theoretically. Like they could theoretically be just as intelligent as us, just in a totally different means because they use what they need. Like they never needed clothes because they had hair, you know, they don't need to use primal tools like we or tools like we do because, you know, If they're theoretically stronger than us, you know, they don't need to crack open something with like a rock or whatever. They can just literally use their hands and just crack it open. Like the intelligence could be the same, just a totally different line of thinking.
1: And that that goes back to what I was saying, too, about the natural instincts, right? They look at a plant instinct or, or animals, let's just say wildlife in general, even some of the less smart wildlife, they know what to eat, and what not to eat. Just something that's kind of natural to them. They don't have to think about, well, I got to read a book to tell if this plant is toxic or this one is good to go. They just know, right? Uh, So if you're not having to waste your time on that, let's say you're some creature that lives in the woods, like potentially a Sasquatch. You just kind of know, well, this plant, if I eat this, it'll make my stomach feel better. Uh, That kind of is a given. So you get to use the rest of your Brain power on staying hidden or maybe curiosity because it seems like with Sasquatch, a lot of the anecdotal reports so those will be like eyewitness encounters happens people camping or they're out in the woods doing something and they have some kind of encounter. It almost seems like there's a curiosity. Obviously, we are very curious, we're primates, other primates are extremely curious creatures. So that kind of makes sense that 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 sort of uh kind of checks out in my box at least, but. Yeah, there are other behaviors and other things that are quite interesting when it comes to Sasquatch. This is something uh, recently I've been trying to hit on quite a bit is you have ape behavior that's been reported in North America for a long time prior to there being knowledge of these actual established ape behaviors. And there's, there's a few of them in particular that are pretty interesting. Uh, one being smell. So you have a certain percentage of Sasquatch encounters that report some kind of smell. Very consistent descriptions. I've heard wet dog on a number of occasions, rotting flesh, really bad kind of stinky garbage. And then one I've heard at least three or four times from different people was like a monkey house smell at the zoo. You go to the gorilla encounter or gorilla enclosure at a zoo. That's the smell people are reporting. That's a very distinct musky kind of smell. That's interesting that people are are consistently reporting that in North America, in the wilderness. And and, and like I said, personally, I've heard the monkey house smell at least three or four times like over the past few years, which is really interesting to me because gorillas are known to control their scent glands. If they're angry or agitated, it's like, if you could release your BO, if you're angry at your neighbor, you could just like, here, take this. That's intriguing, right? That's not an ability we have yet. People are reporting that in North America. Now someone say, well, it's just a creature that lives in the woods. So it just smells bad, but not. All, it's a minority of reports, like less than fifty percent of encounters. If I had to guess, less than fifty percent uh, describe smell. You've got stories of like the skunk ape. Yeah, maybe it lives in a swamp. It smells bad, but not even all those reports have smell. So maybe there's like a control factor there might exist. Then you've got the wood knocking slash rock throwing kind of thing. We know chimps and, and apes they throw stuff. Chimps have been documented throwing rocks at trees as either a form of communication or even using them as kind of tools, Uh, possibly wood knocking too. And that's something that's consistently reported, rock throwing, wood knocking. I mean, this is stuff I've experienced in different capacities across North America. Uh, So that's a kind of interesting one. And then you get to um, one of the more intriguing ones, which I recently kind of learned about is the possibility of uh, people talking about infrasound. and you know it's it's a it's a big topic, very misunderstood. I don't claim to be an expert in it at all; just my kind of anecdotal observations. But something I've heard personally from a number of people encounters they've had, where they're roared at, or they feel the they get a vocalization and they feel it vibrate in their chest, or they physically feel the effect of a loud loud roar or a vocalization. This happened to a friend of mine had an encounter in New Hampshire. The thing brushed its hand against his tent. Let out this vocalization. He said, "I could feel it in my chest." Happened to another guy I know, a state park, former state park ranger, saw two of these things. One of them roared at him, and he felt this kind of thing. And I've heard other, I've read other encounters, not just ones I've been told about these vocalizations and, and feeling them, which is really interesting because you can imagine if if you're standing next to like a subwoofer at a con at a concert. You know, that loud music, you can feel your whole body vibrate, right? Sound, frequency, all this stuff. The infrasound can have actually effects on people that are subconscious. So we don't, we can't actually hear it. There's been experiments on infrasound. It can make you feel depressed or anxious, uh, even agitated, just because there's these frequencies we don't hear. Now, what's interesting is very recently I read an article by some researchers that I've actually been trying to get in contact with uh, who studied gorillas in the Congo and the mountain gorillas. And they kind of casually in an article mentioned that they felt that mountain gorillas produced infrasonic vocalizations that have an effect on the female gorillas. And I'm like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. I want, I want to learn more about this. Can you tell me about this? And I'm, I'm currently trying to get more information on this. That's pretty, you know, because infrasound is not known to be in primates. I don't know if there's any primates, maybe there's like a small, uh, you know, slow loris type thing that might use infrasound, but infrasound is generally not thought to be something that exists in primates. It exists in elephants. They use it to communicate uh, possibly lions and tigers. They use it to kind of hunt and uh, other animals use it as well, but not very common in primates. So if gorillas, one of the largest non-human primates out there, is allegedly using it to have an effect on their females. I mean, that's really interesting because you have people talking about being affected by Sasquatch vocalizations, whether it's just because it's a very high volume of sound. I've even heard people that it's not that loud of a vocalization, but they still feel like a vibration. Um, So I don't know what's going on there. That is really interesting. But those parallels with some of that ape behavior, again, these are kind of similar to ape behaviors, but they've been reported in North America for in a lot of cases longer than we've even known that other apes can do these kinds of things. So like the scent plans and the wood knocking that's been reported in North America for decades prior to actual evidence of chimps throwing rocks at trees and using it almost like a rock kind of communication thing.
0: I mean, at least when it comes to like the infrasound stuff too, um, like just to kind of show like a possible range of like their vocal range too as far as that goes you hear a lot of these like weird encounters like you were kind of talking about earlier with like the baby crying from the woods people hear like door knock or like car doors closing just a bunch of random noise and i mean it kind of plays into two things it shows that they do have a very wide vocal range where they're able to mimic all these different types of sounds and on the other end of it it also kind of shows that um that maybe there's like an intelligence factor in the ability of them wanting to mimic sounds for possibly entertainment Because I mean, like you're sitting out in the woods, you know, who knows what these things could could essentially be doing for fun. But if they're mimicking sounds theoretically for fun, that shows that there's an intelligence factor that they're not just hunting and surviving, but they're actually trying to do things to entertain themselves. So it kind of plays into a whole other look right. on these things.
1: Yeah. That's what I think I was kind of, when I was mentioning that curiosity factor a lot of people report having stuff going on in their campsites, or stuff getting thrown. You know, curiosity objects being taken, like that hatchet story I brought up at Area A. So, I mean, there's a curiosity. You're out in the woods, you're you're just living your life. Maybe you're curious about what's going on. Now, what are these weird, hairless kind of primate-looking things that need all these tools and vehicles? What are they doing? Maybe there's an aspect of that. Maybe you're just messing around with people for fun. I don't know. <laughs> That's the thing. So, but. Again, there's that consistency of kind of interesting paralleling behaviors with other primates. And this is something, you know, talking to primatologists and anthropologists is very interesting because I've talked to a few of them and they kind of say, well, yeah, these behaviors, this being a parallel is definitely something that piques their interest. So uh, if they're saying that, then, I mean, that, that's something I think worth looking into a little more.
0: And uh, just because I'm curious of your opinion on it too, a lot of people have different theories on like the wood knocks. Um, Some people think it's like a way to call them in. Other people think that it might be like a way of like, say, there's three people in the group and then they hear three wood knocks. So some people kind of theorize that it might be how they communicate to say that there's this many people here. Um, But like, what kind of, what kind of fence do you sit on as far as that goes? Cause I've always kind of been curious if when people are doing research and they do wood knocks, if rather than calling them in, They might actually be pushing them away by saying like, you know, you do five wood knocks and then they think there's five people over there and they're like, all right, I'm out.
1: (laughs) Could be. I I really have no idea. I mean, a lot of people have a lot of different theories. Personally, my theory is, I mean, I have no clue. I don't don't even know if I have a necessary theory. I, I think it's some kind of form of communication. That's probably the only thing I could be comfortable with saying. I've heard wood knocks myself. They've happened in between rock throws and other stuff. Uh, and I've done wood knocks and gotten responses back where I knew it wasn't, there weren't any other people in the area. It's happened on a few occasions. Um, I can't say, I, of course, 100% wasn't a Sasquatch. I think a lot of people mistake woodpeckers and goes back to not knowing about the woods and having those natural instincts taken away that most people don't know about the sounds that are made in the woods. So there's that misidentification factor that can absolutely take place. But uh, yeah, the wood knocking stuff is interesting. Again, we go back to those chimps using the rocks. Uh, the rock throwing all that kind of stuff and that's been reported plenty of times again i've experienced it anecdotally a few times not that i can say i saw a sasquatch doing it but uh, last year i did a video about audio analysis with chris spencer of the olympic project and i looked at the bigfoot mapping project and i had the creator of it scott who's a great guy he I, i said hey can you put me a list of reports that you have whether it's from the BFRO and all these databases that you use to pool your knowledge for the Bigfoot Mapping Project maps, is there a way to filter out ones that have wood knocks involved? So I'm talking class A sightings where a person feels that they saw a Sasquatch and the either presence of wood knocks or rock knocks or something like that. And I think it was about like 15 or 16 sightings across North America where there was a visual sighting and a wood knock that was either heard before or after the sighting or in between. Uh, Mm -hmm. So there was quite a few encounters. There was even one that was a class a sighting in the Ocala national forest in Florida of a guy. He saw what he thought was a first somebody in a ghillie suit. He was hearing this wood knock and he was knocking this guy in the ghillie suit was like knocking a stick against a tree and he thought it was some guy. And as he approached it, it turned out to be some kind of primate like creature that then ran away um, that's a pretty interesting one. I recently learned that uh, Cliff Berrickman of the North American Bigfoot Center and finding Bigfoot fame, he had had a couple of recent reports to him of witnesses actually seeing a Sasquatch wood knocking with a piece of wood. So that's interesting. I mean, because the presence of seeing a creature and hearing this noise, I find intriguing. What is going on? I've heard people theorize could be hand claps. You imagine having large hands and cupping your hand and creating that sound, mouth pops, tooth pops. I've heard it all. I mean, in the Pacific Northwest, areas like Area A, finding a good stick to do a wood knock is pretty difficult because everything's covered in moss. It's often very wet. It's a rainforest, temperate rainforest. There's a lot of punky dead wood. So finding a good stick to do wood knocking is actually not very easy in an environment like that, as opposed to here in the Northeast where I'm at, you know, I could walk into my yard and find a pretty decent uh, oak or maple stick on the ground and, and hit it against a, a tree and get a, or a rock and have a good sound, you know, clack some rocks together. So I don't know. Maybe there is a combination of things going on. Uh, but having that anecdotal data of people seeing kind of wood knocks going on is definitely intriguing. Uh, but I think there probably is more than one thing going on in terms of either the mouth pops. I've heard people that have heard this kind of weird... Kind of mouth pop noise and learn how to do it themselves and can produce this really kind of loud popping noise with their mouths
0: i've even had somebody on the show at one point that uh said that they saw like with their eyes a sasquatch doing a wood knock with their palm hitting the base of a tree
1: which is so interesting yeah imagine that i mean so yeah you could have multiple kind of things going on here uh multiple tiers of communication i mean these things don't have a language. It doesn't seem like, I don't know. I mean, there are theories obviously that there might, but uh, it seems like the vocalizations of things that we've heard don't really, they're more like other primates. They don't have a specific language, but language is complicated. We have very diff- different tiers of communication. There's verbal, nonverbal. I mean, the way you talk to your grandmother is probably different than how you talk to your buddies. You got slang, you got different ways of speaking just language. So we have different forms of communication. You know, we, we snap, maybe get someone's attention. Like, Hey, look at me. You know, it's like we have different tiers of communication. So what is a wood knock versus a rock knock versus a hand clap versus a tooth pop versus a uh, gorillas beating their chest. I mean, there's a recording from area A in Alaska that sounds just like a gorilla chest beat when compared to a gorilla chest beat it sounds almost identical. It's kind of uncanny actually. So different forms of communication. If you don't have a a spoken language, you're going to have different ways of communicating. So maybe that's what's going on. Again, this is just theory, but uh, it seems to me interesting enough.
0: I mean, even just for the whole idea of language to begin with, I mean, you have all like the off the wall recordings that like Ron Moorhead got, for example. And, uh, you know, any language that you don't understand is just going to sound like absolute gibberish. So, I mean, they could have like a legitimate language, but because we don't understand even one word of it. It all just comes out as solid gibberish. And even just within other languages, I mean, like English, for example, there's a lot of stops in between words to like punctuate words. But then there's a lot of other languages that are like a constant flow through words, even when you're going into other sentences. So, I mean, like even not being able to tear that away from itself either. I mean, these things could be having full on conversations. And if you don't understand one word of it and you don't understand any of the punctuation going through it, you know, it could just sound like a bunch of random samurai chatter as, you know, Ron Moorhead liked to coin it. But there could be stopping and punctuation within that sentence. But it's just, again, gibberish to you because you don't understand any of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. It's, if, if if these things do have a language, it obviously changes the kind of dynamic. They would probably be more closer to us than not, if that were the case. But uh, even within human language, I mean, some languages don't have words. There are places in Africa where people speak with clicks and pops of the tongue in their mouths. Uh, and that's, that's, non, that's a kind of nonverbal communication. Even some of the tribes... North America have almost these click pop kind of noises they might make in between some of their words. But some people have described hearing that noise in the woods and thinking maybe that's a kind of language or something. I don't know. I mean, there's so many unknowns uh, and I think there's just so much information out there. It's hard to kind of compound it all into stuff that makes sense, but we do have a lot of information. So uh, you're not all of it's accurate. Of course, some of it's misidentifications or wishful thinking or outright fakes, but There's enough, I think, interesting data out there to uh, kind of have as a basis for these theories, but ultimately we need to repeat them on a greater level and be able to kind of say things with more of a certainty. And that comes with proving these things exist or, uh, you know, other kinds of pieces of evidence that we might be able to evaluate or present that uh, would kind of make sense.
0: I mean, even within the language, if there is a possibility of them having a language to begin with, I mean, there's different different dialects just within the United States. Like you were saying, even just different ways of talking, depending on who you're talking to. I mean, the, the theoretical Sasquatch they could be living in Alaska versus the ones that are living in Washington, for example, could have a totally different language and not only have a totally different language, but like it could be the difference between like words – Versus like, you know, just making sounds essentially to communicate like who knows like what their barrier could be because these things may not or assumably don't have any communication with each other. So there could have different pockets of completely different Sasquatch languages that are based in a completely different way of communication just off of that.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you think about just the different habitats, you might have different regional adaptations because you're dealing with different types of creatures. You live in a swamp in Florida. It's probably pretty different from the Rocky mountains in Northern British Columbia. You're going to have different prey, different, you're dealing with elevation, different climate. So you may have different ways of communicating back to that Pacific Northwest example, you know, go into a forest in Washington state in in the coastal rainforest and try to find a really good stick to knock against a tree not as easy as it's going to be in maybe a more dry place like the Rocky Mountains or somewhere where you have more of a coniferous kind of character to the forest or deciduous like you'd have here out in the areas in the Appalachians. So uh, they could just be regional things. I mean, we really don't know regional ways of communicating. Uh, it's It's really, again, I don't want to seem like we don't know a lot, but we don't, you know, we really don't know a lot. We've got a lot of theories and a lot of ideas and uh, there's a lot of competing theories. A lot of people think that it's UFOs and aliens and interdimensionality and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, very well could be. I don't know. I, I mean, I lean more towards kind of the, the former perspective that dealing with some kind of highly intelligent creature that uh, lives in some of these pockets that just most people don't go to. But there's a lot of possibilities out there. Uh, there could be more than one thing going on at the same time. I don't I really don't know. But uh, it's, it nonetheless interests me, and you know I've had the chance to speak to hundreds of eyewitnesses at this point across North America, and I've noticed those consistencies, and that really intrigues me. And uh, most people, when I've heard their stories, it's been of you know some kind of fleeting primate-like creature. Uh, you know the the minority of reports have some of those weirder aspects, but that's kind of how I try to portray some of my documentaries, and I take people along for the ride, and I show them well this is what I've learned this is what this eyewitness is saying and and I'll have the full interview in there or as much of it as I can, you know, interesting points and that kind of thing. So that's just sort of my philosophy and the way I try to approach it. And I try to give as much information as possible and ultimately let you kind of make up your own decisions or theories uh, without necessarily spoon feeding people the ideas.
0: And that's an awesome way of doing it, honestly. And um, we got about 20 minutes or so left. There was two other main things that I really wanted to get in with you, and uh, one of those questions, of course, is the whole like recent Sasquatch video that happened from Colorado. Um, I, I haven't had a chance to really talk about it with anybody in the community so i kind of wanted to take a couple minutes to possibly discuss it with somebody that does a lot of sasquatch research and then on the back end i (laughs) want to get into some of the uh, more recent encounter stories that you picked up on your trip to alaska so of course i want to leave a little bit of room for that but i definitely wanted to get your opinion on the new bigfoot footage because it always (laughs) kind of weirds me out when it becomes national coverage or you see it on news yeah it's like mega viral yeah it's it's weird because normally it's just kind of passed around the community and then somebody like yeah pushes it off to the side, but it's, it never gets like national coverage. It's like, it's been weird. Yeah. This
1: one, this one blew up. And I mean, to put it in perspective this, this past weekend, I went to kind of a baby shower slash send off for my friend. Who's going to become a father. And next day went to a retirement party. So I was in touch with a lot of people who don't do any Bigfoot stuff, who really only know me as being interested in Bigfoot. And I got told, I got asked about the story by like five or six people. Same. And then I got like thirty messages on social media, whether it be from Facebook or Instagram, that kind of thing. Tons and people texting me. I've got tons of stuff like that. People that are either into Bigfoot or everyone wants to know what's going on. So it's it went mega viral. I mean, the UK news, international news, was covering it. It was all over social media. It blew up huge. Um, my opinion is I do not think it's real. I think it's a costume. Thank you. I'm, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> it looks just so bad. I mean, if you look at it, and if it, does, it's, it doesn't fit the MO of an elusive creature to be standing out in the open in an area where the train going by, a crowded train, and standing in the open. It's not even like near a forested area. Does that make sense uh, per Sasquatch sightings we've heard? Not really, but... Uh, A friend of mine named Jeff Smith, he's over at the Sasquatch Tracks podcast. They do a great job. He did some digging on the story when it kind of broke. He found that the area where that train went through, Silverton, Colorado, between Silverton and Durango, which is kind of in southwest Colorado, there is actually very close to where the woman said that she filmed this thing right outside of the town of Silverton. There is a Sasquatch Expedition Camper Company. And uh, they produce, they make these cool campers. They look pretty awesome for, you know, uh, people that go overlanding, all kinds of stuff. And they frequently go around town wearing a costume with a bigfoot. You know, very similar hair color, that kind of thing. Maybe they had multiple costumes too, because they have pictures on their website with one costume that doesn't really match the costume in the video, but. When pressed about it, I had a couple of friends of mine that reached out to them and asked them, "Hey, was this you guys?" And they they responded with a cheeky answer of, "Well, you know, wasn't us. We had nothing to do with it." They even made a funny post about it, saying it wasn't us, and they had a guy. It, it looked like they somebody had shaved a bunch of hair, and then the next picture was a guy sitting at a workbench with Sasquatch feet, and would look like hair sticking out of his chest, but it looked like they. Yeah, he was wearing human clothing, and you could see the costume, very similar color to the one in the video, laying on the floor, just in the corner. So, uh, and it was only a few miles from where this, their kind of campground camper thing is to where this train goes through. And apparently they're known to wear suits around town. So, I think that's a pretty interesting connection, uh, and I think it was probably just some kind of a prank or publicity stunt. Unfortunately, uh, I do not believe it was legitimate. Some people do, but uh, hey, I mean. It didn't look legit to me, so it is what it is. But, yeah, it's. I'm sure I'm going to continue getting asked about it uh, for the next couple of weeks at least just because it's the biggest Sasquatch-related news story in, like, the last year, so it's just blown up.
0: Dude, that hair, though, that thing has some, like, nice, billowing, blowing <laughs> hair. That's what threw me off. I was like, first of all, if there's a primate existing in the woods, its hair is not going to blow that nice in the wind. It's going to be a lot more greasy and, like, sticky and have, like, twigs and leaves and everything in it. It's not just going to be this perfect, like as it's walking, the wind catches it and it just free flowing hair.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it was fun kind of seeing it, but, uh, you know, once you're in this topic, it kind of gets annoying when you get it sent to you all the time. Right. (laughs) But, uh, again, I think Jeff Smith did a great job of kind of doing some digging into it and seeing that, uh, you know, not all, it's not all that it appears to be. So unfortunately I, uh, I think it was a creative effort, but I do not think it was legit. Even if the people in the train, they might've thought it was a legit encounter. A buddy of mine talked to the lady who saw it and they were pretty convinced of what they saw, but, uh, you know, they can be mistaken as well.
0: Dude, I'm glad that I asked you about it to at least connect that whole like RV camper thing. Cause I hadn't actually heard that part yet. So thanks for that part.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, once you usually peel back kind of layers of the onion, that's when, uh, that sort of stuff gets revealed. So there's always, Somebody sleuthing out there online trying to find the answer to a big incident like that, especially like that, because, I mean, like I said, it went mega viral, especially for Bigfoot standards.
0: Well, I guess kind of deterring it away from that side of the Sasquatch encounters and bringing it into the more down-to-earth Sasquatch encounters, I'd love to hear some of the fascinating stories that you had heard on your drive up to Alaska, because you said you picked up a few for some locals. Those are always the absolute best stories, so I'd love to hear some of the best ones that you collected when you were doing your trip.
1: Yeah, no, I heard a bunch of encounters in Alaska and and kind of on the way up. I mentioned that guy Red Grossinger in the Yukon. He told me a cool story. He actually has quite a connection with some of the local natives in the Yukon, uh, Tlingit people. And he talked about you know people, a lot of sightings near that place, Teslin roadside crossings where someone's thinking, oh, that's a hitchhiker. And then they realize, oh, my God, that's not even a human. And then a Sasquatch starts off in the woods. But there's one story that's pretty interesting. It happened on the Yukon-Alaska border, kind of middle of nowhere. I think it was, I want to say Eagle River, not Eagle River, excuse me. I don't remember the name of the river, but there's a river there. And supposedly these four First Nations guys were going out there to hunt to an area they go with like an elder or something like that. And they were kind of going in there and they had crossed this creek and they heard a baby crying. And they thought, you know, wow, that's really weird. And they went towards it, you know, thinking maybe there was a human out there or something. Apparently, they saw this baby Sasquatch. And they described it a female Sasquatch, then came out and grabbed the child and kind of threw some logs in the water, threw itself in the water, and used those logs to swim across the, the flowing river and, and went on the other side and
0: disappeared in the woods. That's crazy. Um, Like a flotation device. We're talking about using tools. Like, wow.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you imagine a river like that. Again, I don't remember the name of the river. It's in the Alaska Bigfoot Highway. If you watch the documentary, Fred talks about it. So his his words, I might be twisting some of his words because I don't remember the exact details of the encounter. Um, But he has it, the full telling in the documentary. So do check that out. You need to fact check me on on the details. But uh, you imagine a river like that, it'd be flowing so if you just tried to swim across it, it might be kind of difficult, right? But with a flotation device, maybe you've got a, if you have like a juvenile or a young one with you, maybe you put it on there, maybe use it to kind of guide yourself. I don't know, but really I thought that was a very intriguing kind of encounter uh, because it, like you said, it's kind of tool usage. It's, it's, you're using something from the environment to assist you and especially getting away from these people. And that's the story that he was told, you know, these are from some of the, the, the natives up there and they just kind of were kind of shocked because they heard a baby crying and then it turned into this, this incident. So uh, I thought that was a cool story um, that was there on the Canadian side, but there were stories in Alaska I heard too. Uh, There's one of a guy who told me of a cabin that his family had and he spent some time there and a sighting happened a number of years ago, but he was out there either shooting like a 22 or some kind of small caliber rifle and these, these trees kind of behind this cabin, sort of pretty remote location, um, near a lake. And he was, you know, looking through the scope and then this thing kind of popped in through the trees and was sort of swaying. And he saw looked at it through the scope and saw it kind of however far away it was, you know, not that far from him. And they've had a couple other interesting things happen at that property. So that was, that was kind of an intriguing one. um, yeah, and there were other ones. The one we investigated, which was interesting, was, and that was, this is in the interior, Tales from Interior Alaska, the last Beyond the Trail film, was a place called Manly Hot Springs, which is about almost two and a half, three hours outside of Fairbanks on the Alaska road system. So very desolate. There's nothing out there. I mean, you can see some of the footage in the documentary. There's just absolutely nothing. You're in the, the boreal belt, which is the largest type of forest system on Earth. The boreal forests, which stretch from Alaska all across Canada into most of Russia, into northern Scandinavia and those areas. I mean, it's just a massive, massive environment. I think it's like 15 percent of all forest, or maybe even 20 of all forest type in the world is this boreal forest. Um, so it's, it's a, you know, very <sighs> actually here. Uh, fact check myself. It's 14% of Earth's land mass and 33% of Earth's forested areas are part of this boreal kind of belt. So we're in the middle of that, and we talked to a guy, local guy, who wanted to be anonymous. This is actually somebody my my friend who was there with me at the expo, who also is a Alaskan Bigfoot researcher, Larry Beans Baxter. If you've seen any of my La- recent Alaska videos, he's in pretty much all of them because he was out there at Area A with us for the Dark Coast series. And he was with us for some of the other stuff, too. Uh, and he had interviewed this guy previously, but this guy I got to meet him at the expo. And he told me a story about just a classic road crossing sighting of a Sasquatch. They were coming back from this manly hot springs community. They're in the middle of nowhere. And they, you know, they're they just driving these long stretches of road where you got mountains and trees on either side. And they see what they think is a person in the road. And as they get closer and closer, it's kind of walking in the road, and then it just kind of walks off. But they, it's huge person covered in all black, right? It just didn't make any sense. They're like, I guess at the time they joked about, it, oh, haha, was that Bigfoot, right? <laughs> that was the, <laughs> that was a story. And then they realized, wait, was it actually? Uh, and and they stopped and they looked around. There's nothing in that location at all. I mean, whatsoever. So <laughs> we went out to that location, and this was. I think this, his encounter happened in like 2020 or 2021. So it's been a couple of years, but we thought, Hey, what the heck we're up here for the expo. It's only a few hour drive. Let's go spend a couple of days out there. I mean, it was honestly, it was kind of a mistake because the amount of mosquitoes up there is insane. I've never dealt with anything like that in my life. The Alaskan mosquitoes are no joke and they do not let up.
0: Are they bigger so too not- because it is in farther north? Like, are I don't know. Are they're just,
1: they were just obnoxious. I mean, I would have 50 on my hat and swarming around my head. I mean, you can see it in the video. They're just unrelenting. I mean, I had, even though we were wearing gloves and ma- and like a bug net the whole time, fully clothed, I, was still, I would still get them biting through my clothing on my wrists and my ankles were all bit up. I had so many in my tent at night. It was not fun. But uh, but yeah, that sighting was interesting because, you know, why is there somebody in all black just crossing the road in front of this guy in the middle of nowhere, no vehicles uh, over an hour from this town of Manly Hot Springs, middle of nowhere, it didn't make a lot of sense. So it was interesting because it fits in with those really classic Sasquatch reports, one of the most common of which is the road crossing where people see one cross the road in front of them or kind of right as they're passing by, they see it on the road. That seems to be pretty common for whatever reason, and this was one of those. So we got to investigate that kind of location and basically determined, well, there's a whole lot of nothing out here, uh, so <laughs> there could be a Sasquatch two valleys from here. We would have no idea. Uh, just It's just so vast of an area, it's not even funny. Uh, that's just going back to my earlier comments about North America and the amount of wilderness out there is just frighteningly uh, – it's frightening how much is out there and how little – and now we're all congested humans in certain areas. We don't live in as many of these rural places as we used to. So it's uh, it's pretty interesting. But yeah, those are just a few of the stories I got to hear in Alaska that I found pretty interesting.
0: I mean, as far as I want to bring it back to the first story, first of all, with the use, use of like the, float, the logs that essentially is flotation devices. I mean, that kind of goes into the idea that. You know, if these things are intelligent, they could theoretically be just as intelligent as us, but even going with that part of the intelligence, if these things are intentionally trying to stay hidden, if they're creating actual tools and they leave them anywhere, anybody finds anything, then they're going to go, who made this? And then they're going to start wondering and start connecting into other things. So, I mean, their level of intelligence could even tell them to not make stuff like that and to use stuff that's around them for what they do need so that they don't get figured out for stuff. Because if they you know say like strap those together essentially to make like a raft people are going to be like oh this is weird there why is there a raft in the middle of nowhere out here versus like if they're just using some logs as a flotation device they leave those logs in the river nobody's gonna think twice about it. it's just going to be logs in the river so i mean that could even play into it too that maybe there are a lot of tools that these things could theoretically use but they are tools intentionally meant to be primitive so that they aren't leaving trace evidence of themselves being there using tools
1: yeah, I have no idea. I just know what I think personally is that it kind of makes sense that again, they're not necessarily like going to build an iPhone or something like that. They're kind of using more of the environment to their advantage, which we as humans don't really do. I mean, yes, we use resources to build everything we have, but uh, we're not. You know, you put us, you put the average person in the woods, they're they're probably not going to survive very long. Whereas most animals and I would include Sasquatch in this category are going to use the the full extent of the environment to help them stay concealed, feed, just stay alive. So they're using again, that intellectual or, or just intelligence. I wouldn't even call it intellectual. an intellectual intelligence to stay elusive and stay hidden. And maybe it's just second nature to them. Maybe they just do it. I don't know. That's what they've been taught. That's how they do it. it. It's not even something they really have to think so much about. It's even instinctual in some ways on how to act in certain areas and how to stay hidden and how to behave and those kinds of things. So yeah, I think it's, it's, it's certainly a possibility, but there, there could be deception there too. Like you said, that's almost a deceptive kind of way of uh, looking at it where, you know, oh, if I create something like a stick structure, this is going to create more attention. So that might not be an ideal kind of scenario.
0: And then I wanted to make a comment too about the, uh, you kept saying it a few times through the episode that they could be just like literally the next Valley over. That makes you wonder too, like how many times, you know, you guys could have been out there. You guys could have been like five, six miles away from civilization in the middle of nowhere. And all it was, was the next Valley over. There was a bunch of them. Or theoretically, as you're moving out, they're moving another valley over just continuously pushing out so they're always that next valley over because they're staying one one step ahead of you guys
1: I <laughs> believe me I think about it a lot but uh, maybe once uh, thermal drone technology gets better we'll be able to deploy these things at longer distances in areas where it's just impossible for us to get physically uh, or via like a a, a plane or a helicopter or something like that just Thermal drone it out there and have it go five, six miles away. I mean, I don't know. I don't think that technology exists yet. When it does, that definitely might be interesting.
0: I've had a few people that have talked about trying to connect some type of like thermo to like a drone. Cause like the only thing that I was kind of thinking is if you try to do it with like a plane or like a helicopter, I mean, you hear that coming from a distance. So even people, they'll duck down. So you might not catch as much stuff or maybe they'll try to cover themselves in something so it doesn't pick up as well. I feel like the only viable way to do it where you might actually catch them off guard is by using a drone. But then that kind of goes into the other side of it, too, that who knows what their hearing capabilities could be. Because, I mean, even humans compared to other animals in nature, it could just, again, be being in tune with nature and people just don't just stop and listen anymore. But I'm kind of curious if the creatures bigger, assumably their ears are bigger, which means that their ears can assumably take in more sound because the ear is bigger itself. So I'm kind of curious if they would even hear a drone flying up on them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Primates are not particularly known for having great hearing, like us humans compared to say dogs, cats, uh, non-human primates. We don't have great hearing compared to those animals because I mean, think about all the things your pets, your cats and dogs will hear that you don't hear because we're just not, that's not a huge survival skill to us as it, as it is to certain other animals, similar with smell. Uh, but if you live in nature and you're not wearing headphones and listening to loud music and constantly inundated with the technology that we are, your hearing would probably be better in general, right? If you live in a natural setting and your entire existence is based on being observant, you are probably going to be like, Hey, I I can, I can tell that that's not a natural sound of the forest, much more so than most humans can. Um, but like when it comes to drones, like we used a thermal drone out when we were at area A, my buddy came out and he's a drone pilot and he has a pretty nice thermal drone. There are limitations with it. You know, you, you do signal issues. The technology is just not there at the moment. But this is like search and rescue grade stuff they use to help find lost people out in the woods, that sort of thing. And we scanned for like the duration of the week that he was out there. And we found evidence of, you know, porcupines and trees. We found Sitka blacktail deer, which are not supposed to be on the Kenai Peninsula of Alaska. If you ask the Alaskan authorities so that in a way is a cryptid that we kind of found that again is not supposed to technically be there but animals don't respect our boundaries and they'll move where they want to move for whatever reason so we found plenty of evidence of them with the thermal drone but uh you know really thick areas it it became hard to tell but for the most part we didn't see anything unusual which kind of led us to believe that maybe there wasn't anything unusual in the area but uh i only i look forward to the technology just getting better and constantly um just upgrading. And I mean, things will be able to use AI in the future with drones. I mean, it's, it's going to be a lot. So if, if, if this is something that's a possibility, maybe this will help close that gap a little bit, but even now we're still at kind of the infancy in thermal drones. I mean, there's still even like a decent thermal drone is, is uh four or $5,000 and you can get really cheap ones that just don't, don't function as well. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, It's going to be a promising area. I I look forward to it as somebody that's used drones for a while for just filming and other purposes, but I can't wait to see how the technology gets better and improves as time goes on.
0: It'd be a crazy thing if you actually found one using one, because it's kind of like a back and forth that Sasquatch is fascinating because of the mystery behind it. But then if you actually find one, then it's like the mystery theoretically is partly gone. So it's like you really, really want to find one. But at the same time though, you still enjoy the mystery. So it's like a, like a hard back and forth.
1: But you know, even if we did, let's say tomorrow got a therm- a HD thermal drone footage or any kind of thermal footage or footage photograph, it's not going to be good enough. Uh, we unfortunately live in the era now of AI imagery. People fall for that stuff all the time. Uh, we've had Photoshop now for a number of decades. You cannot trust visual stuff. So even if we got this great footage, it would convince people like ourselves, like, oh, wow, yeah, this is why we do this. People who are believers might believe, people that are into the topic or maybe on the fence be like, oh, this is interesting. But generally, I don't think it's going to prove anything. I think science would still demand more than just HD thermal footage. Personally, it would be a great personal achievement, right? I'd love to mm-hmm. be able to get some interesting footage, but I don't think it's going to move the needle all that much. Unfortunately, I just don't. I think the the era of video and photo being able to Prove something like that is probably past, especially with the amount of fakery and stuff that's out there That's that you're able to do in an instant. I mean, I can go create a, an AI image right now and post it on a Facebook group, and I guarantee you at least one person is going to fall for it and think it's legitimate. Even if I say it's not legitimate, uh, people will believe what they want. So, uh, you know, visually, it will be cool, but I think practically we're going to need more. Like if you got an HD video and then a biological sample from that same area, you are able to test uh, multiple tiers of evidence, I think would be the best kind of approach in in that aspect.
0: And I mean, even falling into all that kind of stuff too, even if it became something that's in the forefront, like the whole alien topic right now, you know, you have people that are coming out talking about how they've had all these experiences with these different crafts. You have like the Mexican government talking about the whole, those white, alien looking <laughs> things monkeys. that they started like tearing apart. Like somebody could come out tomorrow. That's like, you know, part of mainstream science. And they said, here's a biological body of a Sasquatch. But I mean, I feel like still there's a huge percentage of people that are still aren't going to believe it because again, exactly. people aren't going to yeah. trust the government telling them something to begin with anyways. Cause sure. I mean, theoretically like the government may have had actual alien bodies in front of them and even the <laughs> right. alien community is like, nope, I don't believe yeah, it. Yeah, we don't believe it, right? <laughs> no, you're right. It's we we live in a time where fakery,
1: lies, hoaxes are the norm. I mean, not just in cryptid or Bigfoot or paranormal topics, like all over the place. I mean, you've got wars going on right now where uh, everyone's lying about what's going on. It's like we live in an insane time, uh, where this kind of Unfortunately, untruthfulness has been so mainstream that uh, convincing people, you can convince anybody of anything, but then a lot of people can't be convinced by any amount of evidence that something might be real or that something is going on. So uh, it's a pretty interesting time we live in, despite the fact we live in the information age, where you basically can Google the entirety of humanity's history in a couple of minutes on your computer. Yet, I I think people are probably more misinformed about things nowadays than, than ever before, which is pretty crazy to even think about. It's almost like there's too much information.
0: Yeah. That's what I've said a million times that it's not about a grasp for information anymore. It's about being able to basically shift through information now to figure out what is real and what's not like, cause there's like endless information at the tips of your fingertips, but it's how you use it because you could go down the wrong rabbit hole and start following some completely off information and it can completely change your perspective on life based on some yeah. false information.
1: Yeah. It's, it's difficult to navigate, but uh, I think as long as you try to keep a rational head and, you know, there, there are fanciful things that might exist in the world, but uh, try to keep it pretty rational. I think, you know, Occam's razor, what, what explanation makes the most sense before going to some elaborate kind of uh, conspiracy or whatever the case may be. Uh, but who knows? I mean, life is stranger than, than, you know, people might think as well. There's a lot of weird things out there. So it's, it's, it's about finding, I guess, a balance for me personally, trying to make, make sense of the world and how things work. And then, you know, the, the art of discovery and trying to kind of, uh, be, I guess scientific about it or uh, analytical or just critic, be kind of critical thinking about things and not falling for, hoaxes and ruses because that happens a lot unfortunately a lot of people fall for that kind of stuff and you know in a topic like Sasquatch sure falling for a Bigfoot hoax may not be the baddest thing you could fall for right it's pretty benign overall but let's say you fall for some financial scam and you lose your life savings I mean that's happened right? Mm-hmm. that's happened to people so that's about kind of using that sort of um, discernment to uh, help educate yourself and and think for yourself ultimately because, uh, don't let other people really think for you.
0: Well, I guess this is probably a perfect point after just talking about that to kind of lead into the words of wisdom. So if there was any words of wisdom that you could bestow on the listeners about literally anything, uh, what would it be?
1: (laughs) Oh, that's a good question. Well, I guess some of the stuff I just said, but, uh, that's more on a serious note. Um, on a kind of humorous note, I guess, uh, don't go to interior Alaska in the middle of June. That's my (laughs) advice because you will instantly regret it. The amount of mosquitoes out there will make it not fun. So wait a few months to do that. That's, there's my words of wisdom from Alaska.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and probably some pretty good words of wisdom because the only way you'd be able to fight those bugs off is if you're using some type of bug spray that potentially could be radioactive at that point. <laughs> right, right, yeah.
1: Normal bug spray doesn't work. There's a reason they say the mosquito is Alaska's state bird. I learned that firsthand for you guys so you don't have to make that same mistake.
0: <laughs> and if you don't believe it, go and watch the videos and you'll see the swarms. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's,
1: it's unbelievable. I thought I've seen bad mosquito swarms in swamps and down south, but now it's nothing. Those mosquitoes in Alaska, they have a very short window time to attack you Couple of months, so they use it. They use every waking moment to do so. Whereas, like, the mosquitoes in Florida are lazy, they get to bite you year round. So, they're like, ah, oh, maybe I'll go after this guy. No, Alaska, they're determined little buggers.
0: <laughs> they got to survive till next year, man. They're all exactly. fighting to just survive. That's what it is, right? right. <laughs> and, uh, I guess with that, also, um, I, if anybody wants to come and check out any of your work that you've done, um, anything that you're doing with Small Town Monsters, or even anything that you might have coming out in the future, uh, where can they find you? Where can they find your work? And where could they find some of the stuff that you're working on currently that should be coming out in the near future?
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know My website, PetakovMedia.com. That's P-E-T-A-K-O-V Media.com. It's got links to pretty much everything I've talked about tonight. Uh, You could just go to Small Town Monsters as well. Just Google it or go to Small Town Monsters on YouTube, and eventually you'll run into some of my work, which is primarily with the Bigfoot Beyond the Trail series on YouTube as well as uh, Dark Coast, which you can kind of see on my shirt here, Dark Coast Hunt for the Alaskan Bigfoot. That's the series I was talking about with Area A. So those are just some places to find out about that stuff. My website has links to everything, but you could just search for Small Town Monsters as well and kind of end up in some of the same places. And so, yeah, for upcoming projects, we've got a lot of a bunch more of this Alaska stuff, as well as a lot of that British Columbia stuff I talked about earlier. Um, So that's going to be really exciting because it's kind of we're covering that whole part of the world from southern British Columbia, northern British Columbia, all the way up to Alaska. A lot of coverage from that part of the world recently and going forward towards the end of the year
0: so i'll have to have you back on hopefully beginning of next year at some point and then we can cover all that stuff and it'll just be every six months or so i'll just have to have you come on and cover all the research you've been working on man (laughs) yeah there
1: will be plenty of new uh trips and exhibitions by then so i'm sure we can talk about other things too
0: Well, I appreciate you making the time to come on today. And as usual to the listeners, I'll include all of your links down in the show description so they can find everything quick and easy. But it's always an absolute pleasure to have you on, man. Uh, It was cool, like I said, getting to finally meet you in person. And I'm looking forward to getting to see you at Small Town Monster Fest 2 next year.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it.
0: If you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. And if you guys leave a five-star review on iTunes, of course, I will give you guys a shout out and read it on the show. I haven't gotten one of those in a little bit, so it'd be really cool to be able to read one on the show. So if you guys are a regular listener, you know, take a couple seconds, uh, leave a review or rating for the show. And uh, if you guys are on Android and you guys aren't actually using Apple or anything, if you guys find somewhere that you guys can leave a review, um, I'll eventually find it. But if I don't, you guys can always just shoot me a message on Instagram or something, and uh, I can read that on the show. It'd be just like a review. But in the process of that, don't forget to leave that five stars on Spotify if you are an Android user. And uh, if you guys want to get a hold of me for any reason whatsoever, be it that you know, you're know you an artist and you want to share some art or you want to share your encounter stories so that I can include them in the show or in books or anything else that I happen to do in the future, or if you have a brand that's possibly crypto-related or related to something that has to do with the show, you know maybe you make paranormal devices or... Whatever. If you guys have something that you guys would like to be promoted on the show and you guys want to work something out, let me know. Shoot me a message. I'd love to coordinate something and make something work, of course. Uh, you guys can email me at inquiries of all reality at outlook.com or you guys can go to the link tree, fill out the submission form, and that will go to directly to my email. Or, easiest of all, you guys can shoot me a message on Instagram, which is the form of social media that I'm the most active on. Or if you guys are part of the Discord, you guys can even shoot me a message on Discord. There's a way to do direct messages on there. You guys can just shoot me one of those if you guys are involved over there. But get a hold of me in some way, shape, or form, because I'd love to coordinate something. I'd love to work something out. Even if you want to be a guest on the show, shoot me a message. Let's do it. Let's set something up. But everything that I mentioned is all available off of the link tree, which is available down in the show description. But if you don't want to do all that, you guys can always go to your uh, web browser and type in L-A-N-K-T-R-P-R-D-E slash Inquiries of Our Reality Podcast. And with that... Hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody.